Welcome to Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse, now in podcast form. I am Luke, and as Devin is busy working on his master's degree, I am joined by our two special guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we're the hosts of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. A weekly podcast where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. And we are really excited to be here. Thanks for having us, dude. Well, I am super excited to have both of y'all here because Multiversal Q would not exist if not for Explain the X-Men. What have we done? That's awesome. That's actually super, super flattering. Thank you. Like, I think between you all and Chris Sims and his plethora of podcasts, you've birthed lots of, like, grandchildren podcasts looking at comics. I feel like Sims kind of has an unfair advantage in that just in terms of of the number of starting parent shows that can be spun off of. Um, he's what? And, and now with the new one with with Benito, he's up to what? Five, 12? I, I don't know, though. 30. I am excited about Apocrypals. Yeah, I guess we just have uh, like one and a half between the two of us, which is, you know, still respectable. That is still a, a positive number. That is not zero or negative. Mm hmm. And. <laughs> I've got three podcasts now, so hooray for podcast math. I don't know how you find the time, or how Sims finds the time. How anybody basically who does more than we do finds the time? I think Chris just has other people edit all the podcasts for him. Well, so do we, but... Yeah, we have very few excuses. Yeah, I I guess Matt Wilson might be the the overarching answer to that question. And, Mm. like, the difference of how much research we do beforehand and all that sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. True, true. Oh, man, it's actually really refreshing to be on your show in that we don't have to write our own giant outline. You wrote the outline. We just take little notes. It's very it's very simple by comparison. Although I did mm-hmm. do a whole bunch of preparatory reading that apparently I didn't actually need to do. Oh, I also <laughs> read all of Infinity, which like barely ties into the what if. So do we want to talk about that like uh, now before we get started about Infinity and how it is or isn't relevant or should we save that for later? Uh, I think we'll we'll get to it in time. I was going to say, I didn't actually read all of Infinity because I, I read a summary of it, figured I'd gotten what I needed and decided that I wanted to focus on what the characters featured in the what if issue we were looking at had been doing up to Infinity. So I went and I, I reread basically all of New Avengers and all of U.S. Avengers. I love U.S. Avengers so much. Oh, my God. Right? It's so good. Mm hmm. Oh, I was sad when it ended. I mean, I know I can understand why Marvel's doing the whole thing where they're cutting down to one Avengers book, but that mm-hmm. one, it was so it was exactly what we needed exactly when it came out. And it was also just so much fun month to month, but and had like so much heart underneath the fun. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I basically love everything Al Ewing does, and I think that's one of the one of his highlights. Oh yeah. Yeah, I would definitely yeah. read a serial box if he started writing them. Well, did you all also read the Mighty Avengers run that led into that? Or Mighty Avengers runs? Because there is Mighty Avengers mm. and then Captain America and the Mighty Avengers. Yeah. I actually haven't read those. I need to. They are excellent and Shuma Gara, who most people only know from the Marvel vs. Capcom games, shows up. Nice. He was uh didn't he originally show up in some old Conan comics when Marvel was doing those and then just sort of randomly went sideways into the Marvel universe from there? Yeah, he's one of he's one of the Lovecraftian elder gods who got pulled into a lot of the weird tales authors stuff. And during Mar- Marvel's Conan, expe- especially, they were drawing from pretty much every sword and sorcery or weird tales author who Roy Thomas had access to. So like Fawford and the Grey Mauser show up in those and so on and so forth, too. 
I don't think we've actually gotten to the point where we've said what we're covering this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are covering What If Infinity X-Men, or more specifically, What If the X-Men Were the Sole Survivors of Infinity, which was written by Joshua Williamson with art by Mike Norton, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by Travis Lanham. And so I actually found out that apparently that was not the original title of the book. Originally, it was What If Infinity Avengers. It was later renamed to What If Infinity X-Men. I guess once they realized it was mostly about mutants. Which makes sense, like, both as a storyline. Though I think you could have argued for, like, the Avengers point, even with how the story ends up. Yeah, I mean, you have, uh, you know, Cannonball and Sunspot being a big part of the story. And they've been both. They were Avengers at the time. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I understand the ambiguity as well. Well, and Beast, too, was an Avenger for a fairly long time as well. I mean, let's face it. Most people have been Avengers, at least briefly. Like, I'm pretty sure all three of us have been Avengers at various times, right? Like, you know, reserve members, but still. No. No. Just just me? No, I was. Uh, I was a mighty Avenger. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was uh, New Avengers for me. Jay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sure they just, maybe they didn't see your contact info. This I know is, you're very proud. This private, is like so. the math counts thing. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I, I okay, I, I feel like if No, it, no, I think we should leave the show. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, therein lies a tale for another time. Another math counts time. It's a stupid, depressing tale. It's not actually very <laughs> funny, but yeah. No. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, so if you're unfamiliar with the show Multiversal Q, which is likely, uh, we typically talk about the story and then rank the story, and this specific comic takes place on Earth, question mark, that is not actually numbered, it has the Marvel Wikia temporary reference number, or TRN, of 400, which is one of those things that it's important to be specific about because eventually, hopefully, those universes will get numbered, even though this one is probably destroyed in Secret Wars and will never actually get a number. Yeah. Oh, Secret Wars, destroyer of multiverses. Mm-hmm. It's a Sisyphusian task. Mm-hmm. Destroying them or numbering oh. them? Numbering them and caring about the numbers. Ah. Uh. <laughs> So while we're while we're on the topic, before we dive in too much, so I know there was this rumor back in the day, and I feel like you were probably one of the more qualified people in the world to answer this. There was a rumor back in the day that universe designations like Earth dash, well, whatever, uh, were based on the year and month that the universe was created, and that seems to line up for a few of them, like. Uh, mm-hmm. Earth 1191, Bishop's Future was, I think, uh, November 1991, and 611 was 1961, January, supposedly. But like then that just sort of stops after a while. What's your take on that? Like, is is there any truth to it? Was that more of an accident? What's, what's the deal there? Uh, so from what I've gathered, it's either the editorial staff specifically picks out the universe, or the writers can have a say. A lot of the time they'll go and do it based on the date. The problem is if you have like four or five universes introduced in a single what if that came out in one month, you have to vary those numbers. Or there's been a few times like the old man Logan universe was initially Earth 90210. And they're like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's that's too funny. Oh, that's really good. That would make for a phenomenal crossover, I gotta say. Well, I, I assume that it just takes place in the same universe as Beverly Hills 90210 did. It just becomes, it, you know, becomes irrelevant in the hellscape that, that the United States becomes. Okay, so it's the dark future of Beverly Hills 90210, the very dark future. The only future. That's right, because otherwise it would have its own multiverse designation. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think the answer, I've, I've 
asked around about this some, and the answer is that, plus occasionally, in the old days, writers would just sort of designate universes when they felt like it, and if the number wasn't taken, it would run. I mean, Alan Moore was the first person who started doing that, and his were just, I think, largely arbitrary designations. Um, Yeah, I guess like Earth-238 and stuff like that. Well, or 616. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Fiendish. Well, I've learned something already. I feel great about this. I'm so glad we're here. I, I mean, it's not as bad as DC multiverses where every time the universe gets destroyed, the same 52 numbers get used again and again. Oh, yeah. It's like trade numbering. Oh, oh trade paperback numbering? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the announcement today? Did you guys? I, I don't Would, know. That Marvel, no. Marvel is going to start double numbering their trades. Based on where they are in current series and where they are in original series. And I get the point, and I realize it's, like it's an unsolvable problem. No, it's not like Hellboy does in issues, because Hellboy actually has consistent numbering systems in both trades and issues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. The deal with Hellboy is that Hellboy is broken into, into miniseries, and all of the issues have numbering within the miniseries, but it's also an ongoing series, and you can always find the same ongoing numbering inside the Indicia. Those are tracked in consistent places, and Hellboy has always been numbered consistently, and it's also only ever been one ongoing series. And the problem with Marvel is that they've relaunched series multiple times in fairly short windows, but they've also reverted to ongoing numbering a few times for major milestones. And basically, the way to the the actual solution to this problem is to basically have a backlist as their first couple pages of any given volume or on their back cover, with a sense of of where this book fits narratively and what it fits around. But you can't really do that as part of trade dress. Okay, so it's an imperfect solution, but still an attempt at a solution. No, it's a solution that's going to make it a lot more confusing. Yeah, uh, my girlfriend and I had gone to Barnes & Noble, and she was interested in Squirrel Girl because she had heard about it. Well, it's great. Yeah, it is excellent. And I had to explain trade numbering, and it was very disappointing because it's like, oh, uh, no, I believe the first one that you actually need is number zero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Al Collins posted a picture today on Twitter when we were talking about this of uh, Batgirls, Batgirl volumes one, two, and three, each from a different Batgirl series. <laughs> At least Squirrel Girl lampshaded it. As I recall, the volume two, number one, had on the cover only our second number one this year, which would yes. be very happy. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think Howard the Duck also had the exact same problem. Mm-hmm. All the books that had the uh, misfortune to launch shortly before Secret Wars. Yep. Well, uh, speaking of Secret Wars, uh, or at least of multiverses that are not Secret Wars, <laughs> we were going to talk or about at least a, of a comic. Wars. <laughs> yes. So if you are unfamiliar with Infinity, the basic idea is that there was two main storylines. One was there was this big old race called the Builders who were destroying every race that would not submit to them. And so the Shi'ar, the Brood, like every big community, along with the Avengers, when was like, hey, we're going to fight you. We're going to do our best. And meanwhile, Thanos is like, hey, I've got my friends here and we're going to go look for my son who is an inhuman on Earth. And the Illuminati, who are the big old jerks who think they know best for the Earth, were like, oh, hey, we should probably do something about this. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much Infinity. Yeah, and this issue seems to take place just entirely after it. So, like, there's not a whole lot of tie-in from what I can tell. No. We start off five years after the Builders have beaten all of the other species out in space. 
And so we have a ship of X-Men who are doing space salvage to survive, uh, living on the Blackbird, which I was unaware that it could go out into space, uh, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's been for a while. Not like they sort of gradually revised the assorted Blackbirds as time went on. Like it was, it was sort of like going from the Normandy SR1 to the SR2 in Mass Effect, but um, much more ambiguous. And hopefully you have a less uh, morally compromised person who is financing everything. I, I mean, mean, ideally, well, actually, wait, okay, Xavier versus the Elusive Man. Well, was, well would it have been one. Xavier at this point, or was it still running on, on Warren and or Emma, Emma Frost and or the money that Wolverine got gambling in space with Quentin Quire? Oh, man. Timelines are an entirely separate thing to multiverses. I don't know, one of those, maybe more than one of those. Well, those are all from the same timeline. Those are just different funding sources that the Xavier schools had over time. Well, you know, different yeah. periods. Yeah. But yeah, the um, I'd love to talk about the the cast here because it's it's an interesting take of which X Men are around because it's not just the ones that were hanging out with Cannonball at the time. It seems to be kind of a mm-hmm. obviously deliberately chosen, but in the context of the story, sort of a random assortment, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, we have Cannonball, of course, and he's an awesome choice for this because, like, he was an Avenger at the time that Infinity was occurring, but he has a long history with the X Men. He was a New Mutant. He was an X Man. He was an X Force for a while. Um, I think he was an ex-corporation for a while, if you want to remember that one. Um, but it's the other ones that interest me. So you have um, you have Husk, his sister, uh, Paige Guthrie. Uh, you and got, then you have... Do you want to switch oh, off on this, by the way? Yeah, go for it. All right, let's see. You've got Phoenix, Rachel Summers, or Rachel Gray these days. Although it was interesting. I don't think she was actually going by uh, Phoenix at that point in continuity, was she? I'm not According at least to the comic itself, which I've got open, Phoenix is her codename at least in context of this what if. Uh, yeah, I just mean in the what if. I thought she was Marvel Girl at the time. No, in the, in, the what if, in the what if she's Phoenix. Like literally mm-hmm. she just is mean, labeled as Phoenix. In concurrent continuity, uh. like in the 616. But yeah, and then we have uh, Monet saint M from Generation X and then X Factor. And Chamber, likewise of Generation X, um, who's, who was kind of a wild card addition to this group. Yeah. Yeah, I like him in here. Um, and then we have Armor um, from, I think, most prominently from Joss Whedon's run of Astonishing X-Men. Yeah, she's been she's been around in a bunch of series sort of in the background. Um, she was also randomly featured in the X-Men anime. So there's that. And finally, did you mention Beast? Uh, nope. I think we might have before, but yeah. Okay, Beast. well, still, Beast. Hank McCoy remains with them. And, and one other X-Men who eventually joins up with them, um, and that's Sunspot. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, But I really enjoy that uh, M and Chamber are both members of this group because, like, you know, they don't really justify why these are the X-Men that seem to have survived everything, or these are the mutants, I should say, that seem to have survived everything, um, more than cursorily and more than for, like, Cannonball and Husk. But Mm -hmm. Chamber and M have always had such an enjoyable dynamic of just constantly giving each other shit, and that was one of my favorite parts of this issue, to just see that here and there in the background. Yeah, I do think there's maybe like too many characters for a lot of really good moments, but what we do get is excellent. Agreed. Yeah, it feels like this is this was a story that could have been stretched out to significantly more than one issue. And I get why it was just one. I mean, it's it's a what if story and that's mm-hmm. rare that they continue. But um it certainly spoke to a larger world that I think we could have uh, explored a bit more. Well, or it could have been yeah. condensed more effectively. I think one of, you know, as 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 Luke mentioned, there's too much cast for this to really have the resonance that it's clearly going for in, in terms of character dynamics. It is something that uh, shows up in some of the other issues as well. It's like usually they pick one or two main members and you might get a panel or two with other people. But like Infinity is such a massive story that it is hard to balance everything out. 
Um, and I think this was just one of uh, one of a number of what if infinity issues, right? Like there mm -hmm. was this, and then there was one about Thanos and some other ones. Uh, yes, there's also Inhumans, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is excellent. That's what we are covering next week with Cameron Diordio. And then the last one is the weirdest one because it's a Dark Rain tie-in where the Norman Osborn just has the Infinity Gauntlet. Ooh, it's a bad timeline. That that sounds like a terrible plan. Nobody should ever give him the Infinity Gauntlet. I mean, except maybe a writer yeah. to make a good story. But, you know, like, in continuity. Nobody should ever give mm -hmm. him anything except perhaps a stern talking to. <laughs> yes. Give him a hug, maybe. No. You know, if that would help, I would totally give Norman. Avoiding physical contact with the Green Goblin seems like a really common sense, basic, not getting blown up plan. Hmm. I think it depends on what he's going through. I mean, like if it's early on Thunderbolts management, you know, maybe he could have gotten turned around. But otherwise, yeah, as soon as he gets more power than he needs um, or should... Well, he shouldn't have any power. He should not have any power. But yeah, it's it's going down south mm -hmm. fast. Um. So yeah. So we have these X Men, and um, it opens with them just sort of doing a salvage run. Like they found a junked spaceship, um, with a bunch of dead alien types in it, and they're just picking up supplies. And I think um, one of the characters even comments on how they wish they had something to fight because that's all they are right now. They're just like trying to stay alive and the story really gets across like hey survival is not only goal number one survival is basically the only goal they have left at this point it's not just survival yeah. that you know as far as looking for something to fight it's that they are just about they're they're the only survivors of earth as far as they know they're they're alone out there and of, of a large number of, of other sentient species and that is when they end up running into an Avengers Quinjet, which has Black Widow of the Avengers piloting it, and also Sunspot, who is able to get Cannonball, best bud, to invite them all aboard. Yeah, and man, their banter is so much fun from the start. Like when, you know, the X-Men understandably are wondering, hey, are these people just scrolls or something? Is this is this real? We thought everybody was dead. And Sunspot's, Sunspot's like, dude, I know about your Emma Frost dreams. Yeah, I know everybody has dreams about her, but I know some of yours. But anyway, give me a hug. Like, I have a Bobby theory about that. What's your theory? My theory is that Sam has had, is that it's not just, that the reason he's saying I know about your Emma Frost dreams is that Sam has had weird Emma Frost dreams. Like, oh, not just like sexy ones, yeah, but confusing that, that ones. Sam has regular like Emma Frost and I are diffusing a bomb together and like in space dreams or something like that, like really oddly specific non-sexy ones. Oh, so like Emma Frost and I are on Jeopardy together, but it wasn't exactly Jeopardy. It was kind of my middle school class. And so it was weird because my teacher was there, but 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 he and I were also on like a hockey team together and we had to go to hockey practice. And okay, just follow me. I know this sounds weird, but this is what happened. <laughs> like that Doonesbury arc where Zonker kept on having the weird nightmares about the Olympic swimmer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mark something. <laughs> Always comes back to Doonesbury. And, and that's why it's a telling detail. <laughs> <laughs> Also because I feel like Sam Guthrie would have weirdly wholesome dreams. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, he and Sunspot hug, and it's adorable because they are some of my very best friends in all of comics. I, I love their friendship. It is wonderful when there are good Sunspot and Cannonball moments. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, yeah, we also have, you know, an assortment of, of Avengers, just like we had an assortment of, of pseudo-X-Men, right? Yeah. Uh, there is Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew. Uh, Starbrand, Shang-Chi, 
and Smasher, who Cannonball had been in a relationship before they got separated. Yeah, and um, Smasher, she was um, one of the Imperial Guard, right? Like one of the Shi'ar kind of superhero multiracial beat-up squad types. Well, Smasher is specifically a role on the Imperial Guard team, and she's the current one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah, she's she's cool. I remember reading an issue of, I want to say it was Avengers World that flashed forward quite a bit, and she and Cannonball had a kid, and that's like still in continuity at this point. Like that that didn't get undone mm-hmm. by Secret Wars, which I think is cool. I like the idea of Cannonball as a dad. And yeah. he and Smasher um, seem pretty they awesome have, They have a kid in US Avengers. Mm-hmm. His name is Josh. He crawls on the ceiling. It's pretty cute. <laughs> oh, like train spotting, but uh, hopefully less disturbing. <laughs> but cute. <laughs> Good. And they are uh, like suspicious about what's going on, but uh, Sunspot and Cannonball are like, you know what? We're we're friends. This is a happy occasion, even though Smasher is still very unhappy, and it is an awkward scene for everybody. It totally is, but it gets less awkward because then we, you know, have most of the characters just sort of hanging out inside. But Cannonball and Sunspot having a a nice conversation well, in space. Uh, Sunspot, 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 and Smasher are a thing now in in the What If. Yeah, that's probably worth mentioning in terms of the awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we find out that, and we also find out why Sam survived and didn't know that uh, anyone else did, and it was because he had returned to Earth to try and save as much of his family as he could, and the X-Men, and Sunspot is hurt about what happened because basically he abandoned his best friend and didn't say anything, and Cannonball is reasonably in a awkward position. Yeah, and I, I was thinking about this. Like, I don't know. Do we do we buy that Cannonball would specifically put his family over kind of the, I don't know, like saving heroes who could potentially fight back? I, I'm, I'm kind of torn. I could see it going both ways. What do you guys think? I absolutely buy that because I think specifically Cannonball would put protecting people without powers over going on the offensive. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good point, yeah. Um, What do you think, Luke? Oh, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that it's one of those points where he's also a person who very much cares and empathizes. And if nobody else on Earth is aware, like going back to try and help them is all he could do. Though, if I remember, like all the heroes had also gotten locked out of Earth for the time being or that. No, no, that was later on in Civil War, Two, I believe. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, because there was the Chitauri and. Oh, oh, space is space is a jerk. Space is just terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I definitely get Sunspot resenting this because, you know, Sam had this wonderful, loving family who admittedly got picked off one by one over the years. But still, he had a really positive family. And Bobby, like, his dad was a horrible person and his mom was cool but was very distant. And, like, I think for him, way more than for Sam – the X-Men and the spin-off X-Men teams, that's kind of most of what Bobby had. So I could see him being like, come on, dude, seriously, you're central to me. Am I not central to you? Well, and Bobby, pre-AIM at least, was had a very, very external locus of control. He was the guy who pretty much went to where he was dragged to. Yeah, true, true. And so meanwhile, back on the ship, Phoenix finds Black Widow and Starbrand preparing to take their supplies. And she sees that they're being controlled. And suddenly gets a mental attack as the Avengers are forced to attack the not quite X-Men because Cannibal keeps denying that his people are the X-Men. Right. And this kind of begs the question. So, you know, Rachel sees something suspicious. And so she scans these characters' minds and realizes that there's something up. They were suspicious when they first met. Like, I'm really surprised she wouldn't have just scanned them immediately and found this out. 
Yeah, I I definitely yeah. agree with that. It could have it could have been more of a passive thing, like they're aware, but it's not an active control. Mm-hmm. That could be, yeah. So maybe it would have, you know, skirted past her sort of cursory initial scan. Okay, I like yeah. that. I, I think that's that's good, uh, good headcanon, and it makes the story make more sense. So I'm in favor. And also, you know, sometimes if you've ever played a role-playing game, you you forget that it's like, oh, I need to do trap finding everywhere that I go, or I need to trick, look for magic everywhere I yeah, go. Yeah, if it's a passive ability, so, it's... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. GM forgot to roll for it. If this were a role-playing yeah. game, Rachel would be like, okay, okay, wait a minute. No, clearly I would have done this earlier. Can we just go back to that first scene and just, like, start it over from there? Because I totally would have done this, and the GM would, you know, just sigh heavily and turn back to the early pages of their notes, and it would just all be a shit show, and the whole flow would be broken. I'm sorry. Now, I realize that we're referencing entirely different things, but um, now I'm think- I'm just thinking, I don't want to be Phoenix anymore. I want to be Marvel Girl. <laughs> 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 A Jack Chick tracks to this? Oh, yes. Is, is that oh, what's yes. I, am, I am bringing one of the greatest comics about Dungeons and Dragons ever written. <laughs> Although I feel like they are kind of on the same, same tangent because there, there, was, there was overlap in the, the folks involved in the adaptation of that and, and the folks who did the gamers movie, which is what you're referencing. True. Oh, God, it, it all connects. Surely, surely a thief of my level. <laughs> yup. Oh. Well, unfortunately, Rachel's player seems to have been not paying attention early on, so now is when all the characters get in a knockdown, drag-out superhero fight, which, I mean, it's a fine tradition. Like, I'm not going to say no to a good superhero fight unless it lasts mm-hmm. too long like Civil War or Civil War Two or Avengers vs. X-Men. It's always really awkward when it happens in a spaceship, though, because spaceships are so comparatively fragile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that never really comes it up should. at all. It's like... Eh. But I have a feeling the Avengers were like, eh, we've got our own ship we'll get back to. Eh. It's fine. And, you know, they're not exactly in the right mind, so probably they weren't thinking very uh, very hard about this. Although it's interesting how much Sunspot kind of is in his own right mind. Like, you can really see, and I think the artist actually gets this across quite well, um, just the, the anguish that he's feeling. Like, he's furious with Cannonball for all the stuff that happened, but he also hates that they're fighting. Like, he doesn't really want to do this, even though the bloodlust is there. And I, I dig that, because that, I don't know, that part rang really true to me. Mm-hmm. And so Sunspot, as he's fighting with Cannonball, explains that they've been forced to pirate other ships. And the fighting just keeps escalating as Sunspot and Cannonball eventually knock into one another, causing a mass explosion that frees them all from the control for the time being. Because, you know, immovable object, unstoppable force, Mm -hmm. nine vulnerable, power to the sun. I really do enjoy the fact that Cannonball has specifically saved the day here and saved his friend through being nigh invulnerable while blasting. Like, he was so nigh invulnerable while blasting that he managed to blow up telepathic control while keeping him and Sunspot okay. And it's one of those things where if you think about it too hard, it stops making full sense, but I'm not going to think about it well, that hard. That's, that's I just true like infinity in general. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I just like that the power of both A, friendship, and B, nigh invulnerability have saved the day. That makes me happy. I like the idea that the invulnerability of his blast field is specifically the power of friendship. I mean, I, I feel okay about calling it that. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> my my brand of podcasts are very much power of friendship, as seen by us having a Wendigo as a player character in in uh, Exile, who has become more civilized. 
through the power uh, of friendship uh, with Spider-Man. That's awesome. I've, I've, also, I just have a soft spot for Wendigos. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about Wendigos, actually, and the, the idea of, of potentially sympathetic Wendigos and, and, you know, Wendigos as a vital part of the ecosystem. So I am mm-hmm. okay. well, no, solidly pro-Wendigo. Well, Francois, the character, will still gladly eat a dude and, like, pull his spine out like a cat eating a cartoon fish. But <laughs> he's also a dad who wrestles. So. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Now I'm just imagining a Wendigo in, in, a, in like a wrestling unitard thing. Huh. That is a mental image right there. <laughs> and is not in this issue at all, but I kind of wonder if it would have improved the issue or really any issue. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> Everything is better with a Wendigo. Oh, that portmanteau is portmanteau glorious. Yay. Um, so yeah, uh, everyone gets, uh, de-brainwashed because that explosion has something, something, science, mutant power, friendship, something Mostly friendship. messed with the brainwashing-ness. Friendship, yes. I assume mm-hmm. it's the equivalent of just kick it real hard, sometimes that'll make it reboot. As an information technology professional, I can say that percussive maintenance is useful more often than you would think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Sunspot is able to reveal where the ship with the person controlling them is, and that is Supergiant, the only survivor of Thanos' Black Order, who was controlling the Avengers to a degree. It's undefined. Ill-defined. Yeah, she mentions that her power was at a lower level for whatever reason at this point in continuity, and so she could just kind of, like, make them a little angrier. And mm-hmm. for me, that kind of works because I was wondering, well, you know, if the Avengers were just planning to kill the X-Men to begin with, then why didn't they just do that instead of having, like, happy conversations beforehand? But I guess if she just put them in a situation where there was resentment brewing and then, like, amped up the aggression that would result from that resentment, like, maybe that's her game? Was it, I know she was wants it, to kill everyone because— Was it aggression or is it really indifference? Because, I mean, the point, the reason they're going to kill the X-Men is presumably to, to cannibalize their ship. That's what they're they're really after. And— I mean, that's that's another direction. That's the, the direction I sort of assumed it was coming from because Black Widow is nominally leading this group of Avengers. And I feel like if you're going to push her, the direction to push her would be into really strict utilitarianism. Oh, right, where she wouldn't even care if she killed somebody yeah. because that wasn't relevant. But at the same time, Supergiant mentions that her whole deal is that because Thanos was her boss and Thanos loved k- killing people, that you know she wanted to follow in his footsteps. And so... It seemed like she would be pushing more toward murder and less toward just run-of-the-mill thievery or piracy. I don't know, man. It's very mysterious. If you steal yeah. all of someone's stuff in space, they're definitely going to die. Oh, okay, so it's like indirect murder. So there's that. It's like that episode of Firefly where the oxygen is running out. Which I think is my favorite episode of Firefly. I really like that one. That's actually kind of that's kind of what this um, issue reminded me of from the start with them scavenging mm-hmm. the husk of that ship was the intro to I want to say it was uh, Serenity the the Firefly movie and that's a that's a good thing to uh, build yourself into a comparison to and I think this mm-hmm. this issue I mean it's pretty straightforward but you know I feel okay about it going in Firefly ish directions I don't think that's unearned mm-hmm. and speaking of Firefly like that guy who gets sucked into the jet engines in the first episode. Cannonball suddenly just pushes Supergiant out into space where she dies before she can take over the X-Men. Hooray! And he's also like, oh, and also they're not the X-Men. Mm-hmm. He feels very strongly about this. What he says specifically is, the X-Men are dead. Just like you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, how would that go in a, the X-Men are dead. 
just like you. Yeah, but you got to do it with a okay, you got to do it with like a Kentucky accent and a touch of sorrow. Oh, I was I was just having it be cable because you know cable speaks entirely in action oh, movie one liners. Yeah, it's a very yeah. cable line. This is this is this is the Sam Guthrie who who studied under Cable for years. This is class. a grizzled future Sam oh, Guthrie. Exactly. I, I'm sure he's got. I don't know. Maybe the artist should have given him a little more stubble. Stubble adds grizzled. They definitely should have. Yeah. These these people are awfully like clean and well groomed for space refugees. I mean, they have Beast on their ship. I'm sure he's all about, you know, keeping sanitation working. And he's he's a very practical gentleman and is very civilized. Yeah, but their haircuts are, mm-hmm. like, really professional. Who do you think does that? M. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think she would, like, she would, on the one hand, really resent doing anything for anybody else. But then she would just get so offended by people having bad haircuts that she had to look at that she would just grit her teeth and, and do it. And, like, I'm sure she's very good at it. I think you're right. All right, so there we go. We, we've now improved this comic again uh, by adding that little little piece. We're just justifying all the parts that don't fully make sense. We are, we are building. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, and um, Rachel's player uh, going off to get some snacks from the fridge during that initial scene when the player should have been around. The confrontation with what's-her-name for me kind of emphasizes the problem with this comic because her villainy is so impersonal. She feels like an a- absolute afterthought. Yeah, I think she's only really on page for maybe what, like two pages or so? Like Sam confronts her and then he throws her into space. Yeah, and she she rattles yep. off some generic I work for Thanos patter. Mm-hmm. And there's 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 no reckoning. There's not even really a reckoning when they're dealing with the fact that the Avengers are possessed or when Sam and Bobby are confronting each other. It's it's nominally what it looks like is the big hurdle that Sam gets over is acknowledging that his team is actually the X-Men. But it just it feels unearned and oddly thrown together but yeah uh as cannonball returns after tossing super giant into space he ends up saving sunspot and afterwards everybody recovers and husk suggests that he becomes the team leader of this whole new x-men and he's like are we the x-men and beast somehow has made classic x-men style costumes for everyone which what did he make those out of uh you know space yarn from space hair <laughs> maybe it's from his hair yeah maybe he just uh had, had a way color. to recolor yeah, it. it but yellow getting getting that yellow color is difficult would we be really difficult over over beast blue um and you're you're assuming that they're knitted age to, oh oh my god you're right <laughs> this is the only explanation that makes sense he's been having page come like develop poly knit skin in various colors that then she can peel off and he can cut yardage from Oh God! I was just going to say his blue ha- his blue fur and her blonde hair, but that's <laughs> Jay. You made it both so much worse and so much better well, simultaneously. Because otherwise, he'd have to shed enough for that many to to create the stuff for that many costumes, and he'd have to spin it finely enough to make that kind of material, which both seem really improbable. I mean, beyond the basic level of improbability we're working from already. He does mention he's he was doing something with his feet the entire time. And there was that earlier comment about he's eating a lot. So there's there's a lot of things that we can assume. God, there really are. And, you know, it's a small spaceship, like bigger than some. But there's probably still not a lot of privacy. Oh, this just like I said, we could have explored the story and so many more issues. But the question of whether or not we should nope. uh, perhaps should also be asked. <laughs> yep. Um. 
But yeah, he uh, he makes the sort of classic X-Men training uniform, like the yellow and black one that the New Mutants were in, that the original X-Men had their own sort of variant of, that Kitty Pride seems to get stuck in all the time for some goddamn reason. He's got like a lot of those. Uh, it's because she keeps on trying to design herself new costumes, eventually realizing that they're terrible and just going back to the default or variations on it. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that's why I basically still wear just jeans and plaid flannel shirts all the time. I know it works. I thought that was just because it never got comfier. No one ever actually developed fashion that was comfier than grunge. Well, yes, that that's part of the way that it works so well. Exactly. And so we end with our new X-Men team, even though like half the people are not mutants and Cannonball is the leader. Yeah, and I um I do like one of the closing lines, uh, as Phoenix says, So what now, Beast? Do we build a new Cerebro? Find some alien race to defend, even though they hate and fear us? Like, it's got this sort of lighthearted going into the future, like, you know, we're the world is still fucked, but at least now we feel like we can do something with our lives. Uh, optimism to it. But at least now we have matching outfits. That is important. I mean, we just covered that Excalibur arc where Nightcrawler has, the, has Technet dress up in matching yeah. outfits, and it, it really helped with them. But yeah, I mean, this this works for me because like, you know, the X-Men on their own or the not X-Men as the case may be were just basically surviving and the Avengers were going around being brainwashed and murdering people. But like now that we have all these friends together and we have them under the banner of the X-Men, that works. Like the Avengers, I don't think would work very well in a future like this, but the X-Men always work best when their backs are up against a wall, when the odds are really stacked against them. And so for this future, I feel like that general philosophy and the, that set of defaults is is particularly well suited. Yeah, by the same token, I always really love it when Rachel Summers survives other massive disasters. Oh, after, you know, her origin in the Days of Future Past universe. Right, exactly. Or... It's like, well, guess we're doing that again. <laughs> well, same yeah. thing with Cable. Yeah, but no, that they're both like, yeah, mm-hmm. we can, you know, we'll just rebuild. It's cool. We can just keep doing that. Right, because like no matter how bad things get, they've probably seen worse. And, you know, they got out of that. Well, no, just that they have rebuilt that many times. They're, they're, they're aware of exactly how tenacious the concept is. Which begs the question, do you think Rachel had plans for A, in what order they would eat people if they ran out of food, and B, if they didn't run out of food, who would breed with who to restart the human race? No, but I bet Beast did. Huh. Yeah, okay. And then M gave harsh commentary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure M was, of course, disgusted by, by any of this if it ever came up because she's M and... Oh, no, I think M had her own set of plans, which which varied from Beast. Okay, it was like a, a different kind of org chart there. I feel like M is definitely one of those people who in any given group immediately, like the first thing she does is work out who gets eaten first. <laughs> I mean, I thought Tahani was going to breed with, but yeah, that's probably. Yes. God, she is, she's Tahani. She's totally, she's. Yes, except without the older the, the the older sibling to work up to thing because her older sibling is unplayed. Unplayed <laughs> <laughs> the worst. But also has is kind of bad. that would have that would have that would have been an interesting twist to the good place. M, why can't you be like your brother who eats the marrow? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, eventually she did. Like that was the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. she got those tongue hand things, which I can never take seriously because their fucking tongue is coming out of your hands. Yes. Miles, have you seen The Good Place yet? No, I've heard it's amazing. I, I it is on my list okay. now. Okay, you'll you'll get these you'll get these jokes someday. I'm I'm looking forward to it. No, I, I've heard enough good things from enough people I trust, uh, yourself included, that um yeah, I, I need to see it. No question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is oh. wonderful. Oh, nice. 
Uh, but yeah, that brings us to, uh, do y'all want to do Trials of the Multiverse first or questions? Um, Your show. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do uh, host's preference. Oh, uh, let's go on to Trials of the Multiverse, where we rank this universe against every other universe that we have come across and read. Our current list is... 514 long it starts at what if j jonah jameson adopted spider-man which is even better than it sounds whoa and it ends at wait is he already spider-man when he adopts him yes huh does he know that spider-man is peter parker or does he just adopt spider-man uh he adopts peter parker because his own son and also aunt may die in a rocket explosion as happens and then he hires Flash Thompson to become Peter's bodyguard in case Spider-Man goes after him. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. It, it gets more ridiculous from there. Nice. And at the bottom of our list is the Spidey Baby universe, which is what if Spider-Man had a cartoon spider that was a baby and somehow in the birthing process, Mary Jane turned into the equivalent of cerebellum from the powerpuff girls with even less development oh oh i don't like that yeah it's it is very very it is at the bottom of our list for a reason legit yeah i i thought this was a pretty solid story yeah i would agree like it's um it's very simple and straightforward but like that's not inherently a bad thing i think the story that it told even if that was a small story it told pretty well Mm mm-hmm Eh, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the judgy one in in a remarkable departure from from type. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, yeah. So I'm gonna be the judgy one, and I'm gonna say I don't like this issue. I think it's got some good concepts that could have gone in more interesting directions, but I don't think it was handled in very engaging ways. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, if we're talking about the quality of the universe based on the concepts in it, it's fairly solid. If we're talking about the quality with which they were conveyed, eh. I think that is a reasonable criticism. Uh, So I am looking... Now, have you all ever read Exiles, the series? Uh, bits and pieces, but yes. not the whole thing. Yeah, bits and pieces. Uh, did he get to the Chuck Austin part where he introduces a version of magic? I, I don't think, think I read that one. I was I was borrowing issues from someone in college as as it was coming out, or not too long after. So that would have been. So the, that's the last time. That would have been. That would have been like fifteen years ago. Yeah, uh, Chuck Austin introduces a version of magic in like the eight issues that he's uh, writing the series because. It was Chuck Austin during that time period. And magic is sort of a fantastically garbage character because she has no ethics and is just trying to get through the missions as soon as possible. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah, Which typically means, oh, let's let's kill these orphans. That way no one else can kill these orphans. Mm -hmm. You know, right. Yeah. Letter of the law. We technically won stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Which totally fits an entirely amoral version of magic. Yes. So how do you feel about this compared to that? Because it's an interesting idea, but the execution wasn't super well done. Okay. In terms of uh, Chuck Austin's Exiles run? Uh, yes. Yeah. Hmm. I think for me, 
now have I, I'm the one who has not read that part of, of Austin's mm-hmm. run. But with this, like, you know, if if we acknowledge that this is one issue and that was a whole run, I would probably like this one right here better personally. Uh, what's your take, Jay? I would go the other way. Okay. Because okay. part of the strength of Exiles is that you've got alternate, multiple alternate versions of characters played off against each other. So you get more ideological conflict. I yeah. mean, she's doing that stuff, but she's not doing it unchallenged. Well, as, as the person who has not read the issue, I will certainly have my opinion be a, uh, a smaller one in this regard. Um, okay, have you all read Batman Hellboy Starman? Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> that, that's in a similar area where it's something that I'd like to be excellent. I mean, it's got the Mignola art and it's characters who I like, but I don't think the exception or I don't think the execution is as good as I want it to be. Agreed so much that I resent that comic so deeply. It should have been amazing. It had all of the right ingredients to be amazing. And then it was just sort of okay. Also one of the greatest promo posters of all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I covet that poster, but yeah, it's just, it's lackluster. And it, the thing, one of the things that's most frustrating about it is that it doesn't really draw from the narrative elements and the obvious cool points of potential intersection. It really doesn't do things with the mythos that it should. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I would I would definitely put Infinity above that. Uh, okay. Well, what we have right above that is what if Doctor Doom was Sorcerer Supreme? Which, ooh, I've read that uh, one. I'm going to give that points just because Doctor Doom is excellent, and uh, I think that one also has a lot of execution issues, but it's slight. It, it has the Doom factor. Yeah. Right. And that's that's an important factor. Yeah. So the new number 224 is Earth TRN 400 X-Men post infinity in space. All right. And now we got some questions in. If people want to send in questions, we typically uh, will put out a call on our Twitter account, which is at Multiversal Q on Twitter. And uh, we got a number of questions, and it's 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 like Jay and Miles explain the X Men is very popular or something. <laughs> People listen to our show. I'm not sure why, but I'm very happy that they do. It is an excellent show, and I look forward to it every Monday morning. Ah, well, thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, so Xavier Files, who is at Xavier Files, wants to know if you had to make a team of spacefaring X Men, who would be on it? Hmm. An I am, I am shocked, Xavier Files, that you don't already know the answer to this question, which I suspect you do, which is the already extant team of spacefaring X-Men. I will always, always go to bat for the X-Men clones who have been out there forgotten <laughs> in deep space for decades. <laughs> <laughs> They're oh. so good, and they've got a great idea behind them, and they are dedicated to being the, the X-Men of, of space. And I love them, and I want them to succeed. <laughs> and they've shown up for one issue ever, which itself had an unreliable narrator, and they've yep. never been mentioned again. Yep. <laughs> okay, that's a really good answer. Um, in terms of ones from the actual continuity, although I your answer's better, but I want to go to bat for um, the Emperor Vulcan miniseries, uh, the X-Men during that, because it was like half Starjammers plus Havoc Polaris and oh, Rachel yeah. Gray. yeah. 
I think mm-hmm. that was a really good lineup. Like you have the characters who are familiar with space. You have Rachel Gray, who um, is very space compatible, but kind of a wild card power and personality wise. Then you have a couple people from Earth who are sort of stepping up to the challenge. Yeah, um, she's always if, really interesting on space teams. She's been uh, Rachel Gray. Yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. And also she was in love with that Corvus dude and she got that weird back tattoo. It was a very strange time in those X-Men were, history. Those, the, you make it sound like it was his name or something. The, the Shi'ar gave her that tattoo when they killed the rest of the Grey family. Uh, right, that's true. And then yeah. she, um, then her phoenix powers turned blue instead of yellow and she had a, a giant boyfriend with a giant sword and giant hair. Um, yep. But, um, okay, so I was actually thinking about this because I took a look at the, the questions on Twitter that were coming in, and I, I, I spent probably longer than I should have on this. Um, I would do, I, I think, doing like a mid-to-young generation team, like sort of some mid-generation, some young generation, could be cool because then you'd have characters who had less familiarity with space, and it was more of like a wonderful, mysterious thing to them. Like, they wouldn't be jaded, right? So. Mm-hmm. I say we take Skids and Surge and have them be co-leaders of the team because I love them both and they don't get used nearly enough. Um, and then we take Young Angel from the Time Displaced X-Men because he's already got some spacey stuff going on with his powers and he'd be a good personality contrast. We throw in Mercury and Anol and Benjamin Deeds from the school and then we have Honey Badger because I would love to see her with those characters and I think she could be really interesting as much as I love her with Laura, like kind of more on her own as the only Wolverine of the team. So I would read the hell out of that book. Someone, please make it. I would definitely put Martha Johansson on mine, if I'm putting together Ooh, a new yeah. one. Um, I think Mar- Martha Johansson should get to have cool space adventures. Um, if she's going to be there, then um, what's her name? Her best friend has to be. Ernst. Yes. she. So Martha, mm-hmm. we've got Martha and Ernst, for sure. Um, let me think. I'd also add in Tacky. Which one? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a great idea. Yes. Yes. Whiskey. Yes. Oh my god, the three of them would be in a they would he and he and Martha in particular would be a really good combination too. Yes. So we've so Taki, um hmm. Man. Oh, I'm having fun with this. I'd kind of love to see Corsair put on this team with a bunch of kids because he's never had to raise kids before, beyond the unfortunately like short-lived cyclops series yeah yeah that could be cool and like with that he had the advantage of it being his kid he would be so Mm -hmm. in over his head with any kids other than scott or alex or okay uh, i guess gabriel no he would be over his he was clearly over his head with all three of those two but um i would i will i will actually see your corsair and raise that it should not be him it should be havoc (laughs) oh no oh Oh, man (laughs) I mean, I feel like he could grow into that job, but he would really well, have to ha- grow no, into we've it. We've seen him be really good with kids and really good with being responsible for kids, specifically in in the admittedly mixed bag um, Mutant X series. And oh yeah, I just forget about Mutant. He, oh. he listens to kids. He takes kids seriously. Um, he would have absolutely no idea how to effectively raise them. He wouldn't have the course. It would be, but it, it would be his first time acting as as a functional parent, and I think I think it would be really interesting. I think I think he would be a really interesting character to do that with and to pull out of his comfort zone in those ways. And I'm I'm, I'm suggesting this because I think it would be funny, but also because there's a perpetual dearth of good havoc stories where he's not defined by a really sort of static narrative role. Yeah. Okay. I would read the hell out of that yeah. too. I think we need two space X-Men books and it should be the ones that we just discar- described. My mind also just keeps going to seeing multiple man going into space where he's just like accidentally 
shot out into space like a uh, Planet Hulk scenario. So, Luke, have you ever seen the the movie Moon? <laughs> I have not. I uh, Devin, my co-host, is a big proponent of it. Well, no spoilers. Yeah, but, uh, you should yeah. You, you should see that before exploring this concept further. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, now I'm just. Oh, my brain's going in directions. Wow. <laughs> now, is it going in Sam in in Sam Rockwell playing Jamie Madrox directions? Uh, sort of. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. That's the reason Sam Rockwell gets a pass for me is that movie. Like he can do whatever he wants, uh, but because he's done Moon, like I will forever love him as an actor. Uh, next question. Uh, Chris, who is at Strictly Worse on Twitter, wants to know, are the X-Men better in space stories or magic ones? Hmm. Depends on the X-Men. I think it depends on the X-Men team even. Like his different different teams, yeah. different titles have different feels. And so like – um, you know, you have the X-Men going into space, the original X-Factory going into space, X-Force looks like they're wearing spacesuits half the time anyway, um, but then the New Mutants did a bunch of magic-y stuff, and, like, later X-Factor, X-Factor Investigations had a bunch of magic-y stuff, and Excalibur, obviously. The New Mutants, the New Mutants also did a, b- a bunch of space stuff, which people forget. Well, they mm-hmm. did, but for them, it always felt more fantastical, you know? Like, the X-Men would get involved in intergalactic yeah. wars, and the New Mutants would end up with, you know, Gossamer and Spider and just weird stuff. And Lila Cheney. Oh God, yes. Mm-hmm. I think I. I mean, my my answer is my usual cop out answer to this or that questions, which is whichever one is best written under the circumstances. I think with any given team, you can tell either story well, and it's just a matter of picking the right one at the right time. I'm going to pick the obstinate one, and it's space magic stories. Ooh. Ah. Okay. So what's your quintessential like space magic premise in in marvel because i think i know mine but i'm curious about yours i'm just thinking of that uh recent thor shiar gods uh yep arc that just got done <laughs> yep it was yeah. so it was so good like and it was just they threw yeah, thor, thor is the usual space magic vehicle mm-hmm. oh man and um God, I guess the Warlock Magus stuff, like, it's got a magic feel to it. Although, actually, no. you did have some sort of space magic uh, in the other direction, in that um, the reason Limbo got so messed up was because Magus was in Limbo Magic for a was in while. space. Well, and magic was in space. Well, and magic was in space, yes, but specifically Limbo... Magic the character. It. Yeah. Yeah. So space magic, with a K, I see. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. Is there a universe where Super Doctor Astronaut Peter Corbeau is Sorcerer Supreme? I mean, I'm surprised he's Canonic- not in ours. Uh, there should be at least one based on just basic multiverse string theory. Okay. If not infinite. Mm-hmm. I feel like that universe I is feel like be perfect. That's the universe that has the best space magic stories. Although, I don't know, because stories require conflict, and Peter Corbeau would just fix everything immediately. No, there's conflict. He faces challenges. He just bravely surmounts them. And anyway, he's going to be busy doing his massive you know holding the universe together thing mm-hmm. like he he's he's busy and he'll be he'll be you know holding the multiverse together but he won't have time to take on every supervillain. Hmm, okay okay or he just stardust the super wizards it super wizards Not wait is super wizards like where there's a bunch of kids and one of them is really good at Nintendo games, and he's trying to get to this championship because it might bring his family back together. But like capes? No, Stardust the Super Wizard, who's like a more kid-friendly version of Phantoma, mm. who just does weird punishments. 
Huh. I'm entirely unfamiliar, but intrigued. This raises yet another question, which is whether there's a universe where Rick the Video Counselor is Sorcerer Supreme. Yes. Uh, it's multiversal string theory. I mean, you know. <laughs> Perfect. And you know what? I, I will see about getting both of those universes to show up in Exiled. That's the Exiled promise. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So this explains why you've been exiled, then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll touch those universes that Marvel won't even touch. <laughs> it's, it's a brave task, and we, we salute you for, uh, for attacking it. One more question that we got is from J. Jonah Jameson, who's at JJJ Bugle News, who wants to know, why am I largely sympathetic to the mutant cause, even though I have a deep hatred for that masked menace Spider-Man? <laughs> I, that's, that's actually a pretty easy question, because J. Jonah Jameson's main objection is to masked vigilantes acting without oversight, and the mutant cause as a whole is one that's about equal rights and anti-discrimination. He can be sympathetic to the mutant cause and not sympathetic to the X-Men or to masked heroes, period. That's, that's entirely reasonable. Yeah, I mean, JJJ is no, he's not a bigot. I mean, he can be a jerk, but he's not, like, racist. He just understands that the that, that wall crawler is either a threat or a menace or potentially even both. I mean, I'm not saying he's necessarily wrong. Who is Spider-Man anyway? We don't know. It's the mask thing, exactly. What if we're all Spider-Man just a little deep down? <laughs> deep inside our hearts. So I live... I live in Forest Hills in Queens, which is canonically Spider-Man's neighborhood, and the extent to which, like, Spider-Man is the default superhero for kids' superhero gear here is really, really great. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure they just issue toddlers Spider-Man hoodies. <laughs> I, uh, man, I wish Portland had its own superhero, but we don't really. I mean, I'm sure the, the 50 State Initiative had, like, somebody here, but I don't think I ever actually even looked up who. And there's also those, like, 50-state covers, but most of those made no sense. Yeah, they seem kind of arbitrary. For when USA Avengers relaunched. Um, yeah. <sighs> comics. Oh, comics. We love you so much, and yet sometimes you treat us with such indifference. Uh, so let us get to wrapping this up. Jay and Miles, where can people find you online? We are at explainthexmen.com. We're also explain the X-Men. It's just with an X and no E on uh, Twitter and Tumblr. And you can find our podcast on um, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and any number of other podcast catchers that we don't officially have relationships with, but end, ended up scooped up by anyway. Um, and I, I am, I'm at least individually on, on Twitter and Tumblr. Miles technically has a Twitter account that he never uses. I'm planning to... Someday, maybe even someday soon, it'll totally happen before we're all dead. Sure, buddy. Before sure. the builders destroy Earth. <laughs> before but, or um, after you finish watching The Prisoner? Uh, probably after. Oh. Hey, I'm halfway through. I'm getting there. It's happening. <laughs> it's only taken um, 10 years. But yes, if you're listening to us on this episode and you want to hear us talk more, we have talked a whole lot more on our own show, and it's waiting for you on the internet. Uh, my normal co-host, Devin, can be found on Twitter at, at @fredofet. that's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. And my name is Luke. I am on Twitter at, at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. I also host and GM the Marvel Alternate Universe live role-playing game podcast, Exiled, which, if you like uh, either deep dive continuity or just having names that you can quickly Google and get enough of a picture... Uh, you can check that out. That is at exiledpodcast.com. 
It is delightful and weird and highly esoteric, and I have a fantastic group of people on that show, both doing art and also playing the game, so I highly suggest checking it out. Uh, we recently did a Exiles Force X-Force style team, which is a very good one-shot to get into. It's highly weird. I also now have a third podcast, which is John Wiki, which is a podcast where me... Oh my god. Uh, That's a great name. Yes, that is 90% of the podcast. <laughs> uh, where we are reading through all of the John Wick Wikipedia pages, but whenever we get to a link to another Wikipedia page, we stop reading, read through that page, and discuss it. Wow. You Whoa. you don't choose the easy paths, do you? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> are you okay do you need an adult no they just take away my free time and then where would i make more podcasts <laughs> valid answer valid if you live in the columbus area i'm going to be doing a live recording of this show as part of the columbus podcast festival that is happening on may 10th through the 13th so we're starting on Thursday night and going all the way through Sunday evening, though Thursday and Friday are only going to be evening shows starting at 6 p.m. I personally am going to be performing Friday night, the 11th, uh, doing a live episode of the show. What exactly is going to go on is up in the air, but if you want to go, War Rocket Ajax is also performing that night, along with some other good shows. A day pass is only $20, or you can get a weekend pass for $40. You can find more about this at columbuspodfest.com. Oh, and Saturday night, there's going to be some McElroy-related projects, so definitely check it out. Uh, Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast. This is one of our double episode weeks that we have. Uh, the other episode that went up today is covering Chris Claremont's run on New Exiles, which is our penultimate episode on that run. And then we've got two more for the Jeff Parker run. So if you ever want to know what happens in Exiles, uh, you're pretty good until Claremont gets on and then it gets very, very weird late career Claremont. <laughs> is is that the run that gave us Devo? Yes, so at least there's okay. that. No, no, Cyclops no. becomes Devo in that universe. Well, not the best. Uh, Cyclops becoming yeah. Devo is worthwhile as well. He had a funny costume. It was confusing. I only saw two panels out of context. But you also get Wolfpack out of that, who's the guy who just shoots wolf wolves made out of ener- wolves made out of energy from his body. <laughs> only in comic books. That's really close to being the tick character with the poodle oh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it is it is a weird weird series uh i believe the week that this comes up alternate universe kitty pride and age of apocalypse Sabretooth team up to fight wolverine who is an agent of hydra okay so yeah it, it's just word it garbage sounds like uh, comic book mad libs kind of yeah it is especially when you get into the stuff with sage oh oh yeah that's that's yeah. true of 616 Sage, too, though. Oh, no, that is 616 Sage. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah, that's that's post-new Excalibur, where she accidentally made herself a alternate 
personality. And then she also ate all of Roma and got all of Roma stuck inside her personality as well. She makes a lot of bad choices. Did she literally eat Roma? Uh, Roma died and then Sage absorbed all of her memories. Does that make her a Wendigo? Oh. It did not happen in Canada. Damn right. It. If it had, though, well, then, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, Multiverse Q is a typically weekly podcast. Uh, all three shows are sponsored on Patreon, which is under my name, Luke Herr, L-U-K-E-H-E-R-R. And uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you get early episodes of Exiled. For 5 to $10 a month, you get uh, some very fancy cars that Chris Schweitzer illustrated of the Exiled cast. And all sorts of other goodies, including I'll run games for you if you want to get in on that action. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, the What If Infinity for Guardians. And I, I, I feel like I'm rambling and I'm a bit lost now because this has been a fantastic show. Uh, anyways, thank you for listening. Please check out some more episodes. Like, listen, uh, like, rate, review. Uh, Miles, you have been on before for our Thor Lightning of the Storm crossover episode where we talked about what if the new mutant yes, that was in Asgard. And then, Jay, you were back on a while ago when we did a Ken Burns-style documentary on the Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, I think I... I well, I, I was on just as, as the voice of Havoc in that, so... Nice. Yes. But uh, thank you for my sins. <laughs> uh, thank you both for coming on. It has been excellent to get you all on since like i said this podcast would not exist if not for you all and explain the x-men has been a important part of my life while it has been going on so thank you both thank you so much for having us on yeah this has been a ton of fun very much appreciate the invite uh well until next time this one's for hank